Sometimes our commander-in-chief, ideally upholder of the law, fails to inspire us. Take the 1970s. Well, I'm not a crook. Or the 90s. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. And now the 21st century. I'm an extremely stable genius. You're about to hear two attorneys make sense out of a legal system some say is a train wreck. Here are Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks. This is Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. Wow, two weeks of conventions in the books, Connor. Exciting stuff. Yeah, this is the big kickoff. I guess Labor Day is traditionally the kickoff of the presidential campaign, but I don't think Biden or Trump are really going to wait till Labor Day. No, they've at been it. at it. They're going to continue yep. to get at it. Hammer and tong. So we're going to talk about whether uh, Mr. Biden should say ixnay on the wokeness protests. Is he going to listen to the moderates who say, come on, just, just tell them you're not Trump. Don't get into all this defund the police business. Uh, so uh, we're also going to talk about whether Supreme Court should have term limits. Very controversial. Yeah, right now the only term limits are the ones imposed by God. <laughs> And that's good. That was, that was, uh, that was smooth. I like sure. that. Sure. Well, Democrats are, are, are saying, you know what, we really ought to just cut it off at a certain number of years. Mm-hmm. And let's uh, kind of pack the court and let's uh, change things up. So I'm going to chat about that. We're also going to talk about uh, kind of an inside baseball but fascinating legal doctrine called qualified immunity. Before we get to that, though, uh, I have to say, Connor, this was an interesting week because uh, you, your sister, and I went to a drive-in movie. It was almost like we lived in the pre-pandemic world. We yeah. got to look at a movie screen surrounded by other humans. I don't know how many years it's been since I've been to a drive-in movie. But the reason I mention it, other than the fact that it was just kind of a fun, different the COVID-era thing that we did is uh, we saw a candidate for Moron of the Week at the theater, Connor. <laughs> and at the end of the show, we are going to tell people just what it is that this moronic fellow did to violate drive-in movie theater protocol. You I got to say, believe I, it. I love localizing. People love local news, right? Yeah. And it doesn't matter that they're not physically local to where we are. People love the localization of Moron of the Month, too. Yeah, we just did Kim <laughs> Jong-un. Too big picture. You know, everybody thinks he's a moron. You're right. Localize it. Get real. Guy at the drive-in movie. This he's is bringing moron. it home. Love it. Definitely is a moron. So let's uh, talk. Oh, by the way, I, I wanted to mention the weird coincidence. This week, uh, this past Wednesday, August 26th, uh, it was two separate holidays. It oh, was yeah? Women's Equality Day, okay. celebrated every August 26th. It commemorates the passage of women's suffrage in the oh, U.S. Okay. It reminds us of the hurdles overcome by the heroic women. On the same exact day, Wednesday, August 26th, Connor, it was National Dog Day. Oh. Now, is that right to have... These two holidays share the same date. This was created in 2004 by a uh, pet and lifestyle expert and animal uh, advocate. Yeah, they really should have said this day's take. I mean, there's only 365 days, but there are more. There's got to be another day for domestic pets. Yeah, you're right. I I just think it's somehow, if if you're a feminist, it diminishes the uh, majesty of your holiday because of this dog thing. And if you're like Doris Day, oh, wait, she was a feminist too. So she would have been conflicted. I'm sure she was. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about Joe Biden and wokeness. Uh, There was a very controversial video that circulated uh, this week, Connor, of some Black Lives Matter protesters. They're, I don't know, about a dozen people. They're all white, and they're going from restaurant to restaurant in our nation's capital, urging people to support their view. And the controversial video showed them surrounding a woman. uh, She was also white. 
they're all wearing masks. And uh, How responsible. Yeah. I don't know if you saw the video. But, I did. So the crowd of protesters confronted this woman seated at a table outside a restaurant. And they demanded that she raise her fist in a show of solidarity. And they started yelling things like, white silence is violence. They chanted that, many with fists in their air. One yelled, are you a Christian? Yelling into her face. I'm not quite sure what the point of that question was. But the woman, Lauren B. Victor, refused. Uh, even after her dining companion complied with the request, she said, I felt like I was under attack. She's a 49-year-old yeah. urban planner and photographer who lives in D.C. Mm-hmm. Uh Conservatives and liberals alike uh, are, are saying this confrontational tactic maybe is a is a misstep that might yeah. undermine the protest movement's intended message. Um, it was kind of scary watching that video, and I it wonder was. if that's kind that's the kind of thing that Donald Trump is going to be rubbing his hands together in glee at the idea of that, and if the smart money by the Democrats would be to try to distance themselves from the progressive agenda perhaps as symbolized by the kind of over-the-top activity uh, in that restaurant. I think this is a really, really good example of a topic where liberals classically have had no defense to the extremely powerful, mainly right-wing tactic of concern trolling. This is an... Concern trolling. Concern How are trolling. we defining well, that? Well, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's start right off there. Uh, this is an objectionable event, obviously, that a lot of liberals looked at this and went, what the heck are you doing? This is this is bad. A, 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 another uh, a topic slightly more controversial where opinions are split. Basically, everybody agrees this dumb mob of liberals screaming at this woman who's just trying to, to eat at a restaurant outside safely, responsibly, mm-hmm. uh, was, was useless, ineffective, and made her angry, right? And made everyone watching it uncomfortable and angry. But another one, uh, a bunch of people leaving the White House after having watched the the final day of the Republican National Convention speech uh, by Trump and by other speakers of the RNC Mm -hmm. uh, is a bunch of white people all, you know, walking back to their cars throughout D.C. And liberal protesters who are counter-protesting the RNC are yelling at them. They're giving them the finger. They're saying you shouldn't have gone like you're, you know, supporting a fascist, whatever else. They're getting angry and they're getting in their faces. Now, nobody got attacked, but it's it's loud and it's angry and it, it made people unhappy. So. Right-wingers are super-duper good at concern trolling, which means to pretend that you're on the side of the liberals and say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I get that you want to change things. I just have some concerns. And those concerns here are, I think what you're doing is ineffective. Don't do what you're doing because you're going to drive people into Trump's arms. This is a very, very powerful uh, tool to say, my concern is that your direct action, your civil disobedience, your smashing of a window of a lady footlocker or whatever will cause insert bad thing. Now, insert bad thing frequently means uh, in you know enrage the Trump base and drive moderates into Trump's arms. The left does not engage in this, by the way, largely. It, it, it sometimes, but but the vast majority of the time, you never really hear people say that armed paramilitary white supremacist militias roaming the streets of American cities, provoking violence, will drive moderate voters away from Trump and into Biden's arms. 
Nobody says that people shouldn't be out counter-protesting uh, Black Lives Matter and Antifa mm -hmm. because it will make Biden win the election. Because not no one actually thinks that's how people work. No one actually thinks that the extreme behavior of those on the far right sours moderates on the idea of conservatism. No one actually thinks that the Boogaloo Boys and Tiki Torch-wielding uh, Nazis that march in American city cities make white moderates think to themselves, well, I just don't want... Uh, conservatives on the Supreme Court enough to support a Republican right now. That's not how it works in American politics. American moderates are smart enough to look at the Boogaloo Boys and white supremacists marching in American streets and shooting people in Kenosha, Wisconsin no. and say, that's not Trump. Now, I think Trump's actions embolden people like that, and I think we should be paying more attention to it, but we don't go out there and concern troll about you know, to extremists and say, whoa, 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 you should denounce them more uh, you know, loudly and virulently because it's a good political strategy for you. That's just not how it works. Instead, concern trolls and the media who indulge them give infinite airtime and bandwidth in our national conversation to the idea that Black Lives Matter is a movement and Antifa is a movement, one, are violent communists or whatever, and two, that by their very existence and opposition to Donald Trump, they drive white moderates into Trump's arms. Well, when you said a minute ago that it doesn't really happen on the other side, I mean, it kind of does. I mean, think back to the protests after George Floyd. You saw a lot of people on the left, very progressive folks, who not only defended the idea of peaceful protests, but they really weren't very hard on the folks who actually committed felonies, were rioting, were breaking into things, were injuring people. Their argument was, hey, you know, th this is, you know, hundreds of years of slavery has gone into producing this, you know, this anger that's bubbling over. You know, we're in this in, in right. unprecedentedly stressful year with, with right. COVID. And now look at what happened to George Floyd. So you had basically people making excuses for folks breaking the law. So I think it happens on both sides. This isn't excuse making, and that's different. That's not saying what you're describing is you're describing what MLK said in 1966 right. in an interview with Chris Wallace. Uh, was it Chris Wallace? Mike Wallace Mike was the Wallace, dad. Thank right. you. Mike, Mike Wallace, the older guy. Chris Mike Wallace, Wallace was in short pants. <laughs> Good point. So in 66, uh, he's on uh, NBC or whatever. Uh, I guess it would. I guess it would have been NBC. CBS. CBS. Thank you. CBS. He's on CBS television. National Other than television the network and the generation, you get it right. Look, okay. Totally. All right. It was twenty three years before I was born. Okay. Give me a break. Right. So okay. he says it. It may well be that people shouting "Black Power" and rioting in Watts and Harlem is the consequence of white backlash rather than the cause. This is. This is. Him acknowledging that, as we ha as as he said many times in other places, and to Mike Wallace, a riot is the language of the unheard. This is him saying, "I'm not telling you, uh, uh, my supporters, to be violent. In fact, my movement is nonviolent. It's explicitly nonviolent, right. and I hate the phrase black power," said MLK, "because I think it sounds it's too easy to turn into an anti-whiteness message. We should instead have these other more positive messages." That was his. You know, strategy. But when asked directly about violence ca caused you know, in riots, his response was only to say, what am I going to say? But a riot is the language of the okay. unheard. And the way to prevent a riot is to acquiesce to the growth and progress of society and not push back against it. Well, I'm never one to argue with a good Martin Luther King quote. Right. So, so I won't argue with that. But I will say this. 
I think in spite of what I started out saying, namely, you know, from my conservative libertarian standpoint, is it really smart for the Democrats to do X, Y, Z if they really want to win? It's a little bit like what the Democrats said to the Republicans after Obama won his reelection in 2012 against the ill-fated George Romney and Paul Ryan. What the Democrats said to the Republicans were, oh, guys, oh, that must have been rough, that defeat, because I think you really thought for a while you had a chance to knock off a sitting president and a fellow you didn't really like very much. But take it from us, Republicans. Just wake up and smell the demographic coffee. You've got to change your ways. Look at that demographic picture. Every single year, you know, your base is shrinking and ours is growing. So you really have to get with the program on immigration, blah, blah, blah. That was the message. And over and over, a lot of moderates, uh, Reince Priebus, the man with the unspellable name, <laughs> only one out of 10,000 people know how to spell both his first and last name. He was saying, yeah, they're right. We, we got to move left. We got to move left. And then right. in rides Donald Trump on yeah. his white stallion. Of and he destroys all the conventional White supremacy wisdom. stallion, but yes. <laughs> and, he, and he's got this, this whole populist notion, the nationalist notion, Basically, you know, changing up the old Barry Goldwater, Ronald Reagan playbook. And, and so the Republicans looked back on it and said, yeah, thanks for the advice, Democrats. You know, you know right. Wilson. Is, and so for really me to example. say the same thing yeah. to the Democrats, probably if you're not in a party, you ought to just stay out of it. You're right. But it's irresistible. No, you're right. It, it actually is. A, that is a really good point that that in that uh, circumstance, in the aftermath, the sort of bad, sore winners, uh, uh, Democrats who, who pointed and laughed at the Republicans definitely uh, were were wrong and they were engaging in concern trolling. And I think you're, you're absolutely right. Right, that it is a serious problem. But I think the calls currently now, we can agree for Biden, well, maybe we can agree, for Biden to abandon the progressive agenda in order to uh, court white moderates, uh, that is more examples of, of concern trolling. And for a, for Biden to, in some way, denounce the the, the protests themselves or, or the demands for change uh, to the status quo, that is misguided advice in the same way the Republicans were getting misguided advice back in 2016, or I guess would have been before 20, you know, 2012. So this is, this is, the problem is that there will never be a peaceful enough protest such that Trump supporters won't levy these same attacks and arguments. They won't. There will never be a peaceful enough protest with a higher, high enough percentage of uh, nonviolent protesters uh, that Trump voters will, will admit, OK, this was the good kind of protest asking for uh, the change that you think is necessary to save your lives and your society. Concern trolling is whipped out, and we're hurt, we're told that Biden's going to lose the election, uh, be over people not playing a basketball game. This last week, the Milwaukee Bucks refused to play one basketball game as a, a form of protest. They you know used the power their power as labor and said we're going to strike for uh, you know, racial justice here. And the backlash from the the right the white right on the internet was incredibly harsh. Uh, you're throwing the election away, and why don't you stick to dribbling and every other you know racist thing that they said? But their their fake advice, control, certain trolling they were giving 
was, you know, this sort of thing is going to turn moderate Americans. I'm sorry, not playing one basketball game? Is that going to make what people switch over to Donald Trump? If anybody is has their mind, air quotes, changed by not playing one basketball game or by a guy taking a knee during one song, uh, then they were always going to vote for Trump. It's Connor, not changing the outcome. LeBron was threatening to boycott the entire playoffs. Darn right, he, and he was going to until Barack Obama picked up the phone and killed another amazing progressive movement. Great job, Barack. What have you done? You come out of your mansion to do like three things, uh, and they're all squash populist strikes and, and you know progressive movements. Fantastic. Thank you for your contribution to 2020, sir. So when we come back, we're going to talk about term limits for the Supreme Court and also whether bad cops have an illegal shield in the form of something called qualified immunity. But first, we hope you will rate and subscribe. Yeah, head us. on to your podcast app, whatever app you use. I mean, uh, Podcast Addict or Apple Podcasts from probably most of you or Spotify or Stitcher uh, or whatever. Uh, and just find that comment section. Leave us a five-star review because we're great. And leave us a comment uh, that doesn't specifically mention how I demanded that you leave a five-star review because that kind of <laughs> undercuts the idea that it's an unbiased, you know, uh, organic thing. Uh, so, you know, just uh, let's let, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, you know, on that one. Forget I said anything. We'll be right back. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm still Connor Oaks over here trying to drink my coffee. <laughs> and Supreme Court term limits. What an interesting idea. You know, um, the state uh, politicians have had to put up with term limits uh, for a, a long time. California True. went to it um, uh, several years ago. Yeah. About uh, 18, 20 years ago, maybe. Uh, it has not uh, come to the U.S. Senate or the Congress. Uh, yeah. It's just, you know, you can be a senator, you can be Strom Thurmond well into your 90s yeah. or Diane Feinstein. It's true. So um, the fundamental idea behind a term limit, um, I mean, there are a couple of motivations for it. You can think uh, that turnover is inherently a good thing, maybe, that career politicians uh, shouldn't be career politicians. There's this weird idea that, well, uh, you know, uh, we should have regular people um, step into the, the the void of being a politician, and we have more, you know, Joe the Plumber type senators. If we just kicked out all the, believe me, I don't hold any, you know, put any weight in that. There are infinite uh, political, uh, politically aspiring lawyers and businessmen who will fill these uh, spots. I, I don't. I don't think you're going to run out of them. Uh, if you just force people to to drop uh, with term limits, but the the other uh, thought about uh, about term limits um, is that you know as people get older, um, maybe they just sort of are harder to uh, harder to reach when society changes. You know, do do you, do you find any value in that to think that well, you know, if you're a, a seventy year old or a sixty year old uh, representative who's been doing this for twenty years. Um, that you, because by virtue more more than your age, that you've just been doing this for twenty years, that you're inherently stuck twenty years in the past. Do you think people sort of change while they're in office, or do you think that they get ossified and stuck? Yeah, it's, it's a fascinating issue because it, it crosses uh, all around society, all sorts of uh, occupations and and so on. I, I know. Knowing a few people in, in uh, the entertainment business, writers, for example, there's, yeah. there's a lot of unhappiness over the fact that there's ageism in oh, show yeah. business. Where huge ageism. Uh, for sure. If you're you know doing a, a knockout, a terrific job in your 20s and 30s, and suddenly you're now into your 40s or 50s, and as a writer or 
producer, you're finding it hard to find work because the people who are running the show, some of them are in their 30s and they think, well, you don't get it. Yeah. And there is ageism. And of course, you, you see some lawsuits. Uh, the, the fact of the matter is people do change. Your interests change. And, you know, kids come along and right. jobs change and grandchildren right. and so on. But I, I think, you know, one downside to the term limit concept is, I mean, we've all had the experience of you start something uh, for a year or two or five years or 10. And after a while, you realize now I'm kind of- I get it. I get it. I'm I, on a roll. I've absolutely. got the experience. I've got, I've got energy. I've still got energy, whatever the age is. Yeah. But the experience is invaluable. And if people want politicians who have been in 10, 15, 20 years, why shouldn't they be able to do that? Especially when uh, you see the problems with term limits on politicians. The staffers basically run the show. I mean, in yeah. California, for example, you can be in the assembly for, for three uh, two-year terms, and then boom, you're out. Well, you, you know, you're just kind of getting your your uh, sea legs by that time. Right, six years in, yeah. Yeah. Now, does it translate to the United States Supreme Court? Here's why I, I thought uh, I was inspired to, to tee this issue up for us. Uh, the Los Angeles Times had an editorial just a couple of weeks ago, and they said, you know, there's a lot of unhappiness with justices on the Supreme Court. The Republicans say that Roberts is a turncoat. You know, he saved Obamacare twice. The Democrats are totally furious about what happened to Merrick Garland. And, mm -hmm. you know, Democrats are super worried about Justice Ginsburg's health. Uh, the Times said, well, what about court packing like FDR tried to do in the 30s? Do we really want to do it? No, they said, what if the Republicans uh, you know, keep do control or right. get control down the road? That'd be horrible. And so they're proposing the idea that you know, why not let people stay for 18 years on the Supreme Court and then off they go? I think the Democrats' motivation right now for doing that is that when the dust settles, they probably will be in a better position to uh, to overcome the fact that Trump has uh, has had good luck, he's appointed a couple of guys in his early fifties to go along with a couple of other justices, uh, uh, Alito and Roberts, who are are fairly young compared to several of the liberals. Uh, so you know, I, I think that the bottom line is that politics is is in support of this. Uh, is motivating it. But, you know, interestingly, there there are no hard and fast uh, carved in stone constitutional rules. Right. If you wanted to change this, the Congress could actually change it. Uh, the Constitution does not specify the, the term limit issue. Yeah. I personally have never felt strongly about this issue. I have never felt uh, that one way or another there is an objectively right answer. I mean, I'm open to, to hearing uh, people's arguments or listeners' arguments if you want to you know, tweet at us uh, about this. I, I certainly uh, couldn't tell you um, exactly and, and you know, with surety that I think the Democrats would come out on top. The argument that you, that you, in terms of political advantage, the argument you made, which is a totally valid one, is that we just got some, some conservative young justices. And so in the short term, that is, a, you know, around about 17, 18 years from now, or whenever, you know, if, if this takes law takes five, 10 years to pass, then it would be 10 more years after that, um, that uh, some, some Republicans would get booted out. But Supreme Court changes hands and flips ideologically as a result of the numbers on the court much more rapidly than every 18 years now. So it could easily be that we've got some young people like Kavanaugh on the court um, who get booted um, 
But at the same time, it could easily be that, say, Biden wins this election in a non-upset, you know, what we expect, and then we get three young conservatives to replace, uh, uh, sorry, three young liberals to replace the yeah. more liberal so justices it, in the next four and or eight years, and then it's the Democrats that are getting screwed it, by the anti It all depends on whose ox is being gorsuched. Uh, oh, that I was pretty good. Think that I think I used good. that joke three or four weeks ago, but That's okay. perhaps some people don't Look, remember. Look, I, I just don't think... It, it, Term limits are not an inherently uh, partisan thing, but the concept, if you set a term limit really short, it can run into the difficulty of, well, this person's just gotten their sea legs or uh, on the other, or the flip side of the same, same argument, but just the other end of it is I really want Nancy Pelosi, the elder stateswoman, the one who's been there for a really long time and knows what she's doing. I really want Mitch McConnell, who runs a tight ship and gets things done for my end of the political spectrum. And I don't want to have to rely on some green idiot uh, who just, you know, I hope, um, you know, will uh, will will do the right thing. I, I can totally see that argument. I can also see the other side of it, the side that says I live in Mitch McConnell's district and I'm a liberal, and there's just no way anyone's ever going to boot out. I'm sorry, Amy McGrath. It's not going to work. You're not going to beat Mitch McConnell. As much as I would love for you to, despite the fact that you're definitely a Republican pretending to be a Democrat to run against Mitch McConnell, whatever, anybody's better than Mitch McConnell, and you, you know, have some positive attributes, despite definitely being a secret Republican, that's fine. It's not going to work because Mitch McConnell has such incredible name recognition. Name recognition in politics is a huge problem. Ed Markey right now is running up into this. He's running into the brick wall that is a young, charismatic, attractive Kennedy, and he might well lose an election in Massachusetts because no one named Kennedy has ever lost an election in Massachusetts. And if it happens next week, it or, yeah, next week, it would be the first time ever, right? That's a massive problem. Mm-hmm. Name recognition in politics is huge. And turnover can, can actually end that. If there's demographic change and we actually have People in a district that want the, you know, the world to change, whether they think Mitch McConnell's scum and they want a different Republican, or whether they want an actual a, a Democrat for some reason in Kentucky, which can, might happen, never know, mm-hmm. they can't do it if Mitch McConnell can run until he's running from the grave. So I don't think you should be so hard on, on uh, Diane Feinstein. She's not that old, and she's got great stories about playing lawn tennis with Susan B. Anthony. Not, not bad. They're no. fabulous. When we come back, qualified immunity on the docket here with too many lawyers. Stick with us. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Roel Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. So bad cops, we've heard all about them this year. Um, And, you know, I think that just psychologically, the fact that everybody is totally stressed out Lives turned upside down, mm-hmm. not in a good way by COVID. Oh, yeah. I think that made people more receptive to the severity, uh, the volume, the extent of the protests. Over oh, yeah. The, the police activity. Agreed. Because, you know, we had uh, dubious police shootings in the past, and, and uh, we didn't elevate Black Lives Matter to, to this national uh, iconic state. It's true. So the issue of uh, whether a, a legal doctrine shields bad cops is is something that's really on the on the front burner now yeah so by the way this i think is a great example of the sort of 
uh, incremental reform of the policing system that the conservatives are shouting, look, if you want to fix policing, if you think there's a problem, take it slow, baby steps, one thing at a time, one law at a time, one concept at a time, change the way that police uh, police us or change the way that police are policed by the legal system after they do something wrong, get rid of bad apples, et cetera, et cetera. So this, in my mind, should be a conservative concept uh, uh, how do we change one teeny tiny technical legal doctrine about the way that that uh, judges actions are viewed after they've taken them we're not taking away their guns right. we're not replacing them with social workers where this incremental modest reform and a lot of people have been pushing for it for a long time so, and now it has come to a head so let's uh, do the fun inside uh, baseball background here yeah. we go back to 1871 <laughs> Congress, Congress passed a law in that year saying that if the cops or other governmental representatives deprive you of your civil rights, then the victims may sue the cops in civil court. Yay! Now, the court did not provide, excuse me, the law did not provide any form of immunity. There was no limit on the ability of a plaintiff to sue just because, oh, you know, you're suing a, a state actor or a cop. There right. was no cop immunity. Cop slaps you, cop steals your property, cop shoots you dead. You sue him. Cop calls you yeah. a bad name, cop does whatever, you can sue him for that thing. But these old judges we were just talking about, mm -hmm. the uh, people on the courts, over time, they would hear all these civil cases uh, against cops, and they adopted a doctrine that came to be called qualified immunity. Qualified being partial, somewhat. It's right. the, the sort of you know less common definition of qualified. Not qualified like, I'm qualified to do this task because I have the skills and abilities. Qualified is in like, well, I'm going to make a qualified admission here. I'm going to admit something, but there's qualifications it's to it. It's kind of like me. I'm qualified to be a lawyer because you're it's qualified. just partially qualified. <laughs> right, right. You're partial. So qualified immunity essentially says there is an exception to that law that said you may sue the cop if he hits you over the head. Where a governmental employee is sued for depriving you of your civil rights, that suit may only go forward if the bad act alleged against the state employee is an act that's already been recognized by the courts as a proper basis for a lawsuit. And not just a proper basis, but obviously a okay. proper basis. Right. The, the, phrase, the word is obviously a proper uh, basis for a lawsuit. So this is, uh, uh, it, let's let's not, you know. And the idea we, is to stop frivolous suits. The yes. defenders of the cops say we need qualified immunity because without it, frivolous suits would swamp the uh, the police station. Right. The cops would be inundated. And, Who's going to want to be a and cop? And remember that this defense is a precursor to the trial. You don't get your trial if the judge throws out the case on qualified immunity. It's a get out of jail early, not free, but early card. It's like winning right off the bat. It's ironic, the cop is getting out, out of, of jail. jail for free. Right, yeah. yeah. He, he's getting out of jail early card because uh, even though these are suits about money, nobody's going to jail over this, but it, it's about money. If, if you, if you, you know, are shot and killed or, or damaged or whatever, and never work again or something, or, you know, you're paralyzed and you say, I want a million dollars because you shot me in my spinal cord and now I can't move. Uh, Kenosha, Wisconsin, right? So uh, this is a, a get-out-of-jail-early card that the cops have been using that is judge-created. It's not written down in a statute. It's judge-created. And the way it operates is the judge looks at uh, the facts of the, uh, of the, the violation that the cop um, is alleged to have done and says, so if this has previously, in a different other case, been found to be an obvious violation of civil rights, something that cops are obviously not allowed to do, 
the case can move forward. And you see how the exception becomes the rule. The exception is, well, if other people have have, not, have found it, if other judges have found this to be an obvious violation, then we can move forward, but otherwise we can't. That's a pretty narrow window all of a sudden. It's it's based on only those cases that have come before. As, as any case comes in the door, a judge has a pretty easy opportunity to say, well, this one doesn't look like other cases. We haven't had the specific case where a judge pulls over a speeder and then holds them for three and a half hours and does an unconstitutional search or blah, 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 does all these other things and sticks his dog in the guy and the dog bites him. And all these specific facts haven't exactly happened before. So this is just cop doing his job. And they throw the case out. Basically, cops get a free ride to do whatever they want, and then the judges throw out the cases and say, well, since no judge has previously found that this was an obvious violation of someone's civil rights before, I won't find it now, which, of course, leads us to never being able to move forward. It's the tyranny of precedent, the idea that we're stuck in the past forever. Let's talk about a concrete example, and it's the Rodney King beating from Mm -hmm. the early 1990s that people remember seeing the video of. So Rodney's uh, on the ground, and they're beating him up, and his lawyers argue, Rodney was not moving, and they were beating him, and therefore, you should give him a lot of money. And the jury said, yeah, we're going to give him a lot of money, $3.2 million. Now, the argument could be by the cops, well, um, we have qualified immunity here, because no other court has said, uh, if you beat somebody up, and he's not basically not moving at all, then you may sue the cop. Now, they could try to say that, but of course, that's not the case. However, there have been issues where defense lawyers have said, well, Your Honor, um, you you can look at the video here, and as you can see, uh, there's beating by the cops, but you'll notice the video shows that the guy lifted his left arm eight inches off the ground in in a semi-threatening manner, and there's never been a case allowing a suit against a cop for brutality in a, I'm basically lying on the ground, but I do lift my hand a little bit. So that's the argument against qualified immunity, because sometimes defense lawyers get creative in trying to do that. I guess the answer to that, though, is shouldn't the, I mean, the higher courts are always available for a victim of a beating to appeal to the higher courts to argue, you know, the lower court threw it out on qualified immunity uh, because of their interpretation of the prior act issue. Well, their decision was absurd. So isn't it enough to have the appellate court looming over an irrational trial court judge? No, because the appellate court, as in many, 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 many cases, does the obvious thing, which is not uh, not review the case if they have the discretion to do that because that's the level of court they are. Or they say, look, it, it, it was not a, an abuse of discretion for the lower court. And that's a very easy standard to meet, not an abuse of discretion for the lower court to have decided that this was uh, not a, cl- a violation of a clearly established statutory or constitutional right. By the way, when I say earlier, I was saying obvious, sort of trying to uh, colloquialize it. The, the, the phrase is clearly established statutory or, statutory or constitutional right. Uh, so clearly established just means p- decided by a prior court. And that's not a subjective standard that a judge can really uh, uh you know, flex his or her opinion on, right? That is one of the, the problems in this situation is that we're we're locked in and a lot of judges feel locked in or take advantage of the fact that they can claim that they feel locked in and say, well, look, this isn't me. I'm not subjectively deciding You're that this the is a- the appellate court wouldn't be available to, to do the right thing and fix everything, The appellate Connor? court can be available, but they have to follow the same qualified immunity standards. Having two judges constrained by the same but bad if, standard doesn't solve the problem of the bad standard. But Connor, you were an intern for Justice Krosky at the California Court of Appeals. And Justice Krosky- 
was you great. You would have done the right thing. He would never right have thing? done this, and he was a hero, uh, a, a great guy, uh, so, R.I.P. So the problem isn't with qualified immunity. We just judge. have to have more justices like Kros- yeah. Krosky and interns like you. It's every judge but my judge that's yeah. the problem, darn it. Mm-hmm. Also, the other judges on my panel were good, too. We like them. <laughs> but every other judge in the world. So it's time for a moron of the week. And as we mentioned at the top of the show, it has to do with a drive-in movie. Uh, Connor and uh, his sister and I went to a drive-in to see, was it a girl's trip? Yeah, girl's trip. trip. Yeah, fabulous movie. Um, There was a guy uh, just uh, one row ahead of us Mm -hmm. and one car to the right Mm -hmm. uh, who faced his car backwards toward the the screen. Sort of open the hatch. Yeah, that's always fun. That's sort of romantic under the stars. And he left his lights on. And I believe this went on for 45 minutes. So we had an internal debate. Should we uh, take our pistol and stride (laughs) up to him? Risk COVID infection? We didn't have a pistol. No. Uh, Should we just march up? Uh, Eventually, Somebody who worked at the theater helped out, but uh, could you believe the Worst. thoughtlessness of somebody to leave his lights facing all right the other into patrons? the eyes, yeah. The worst part is, though, after the guy who works at the drive-in theater goes up and says, ladies and gentlemen, sorry, sir, ma'am, whoever was in the car, we're very sorry uh, to disturb your movie viewing experience, but you're blinding the F out of everyone behind you with your super bright Audi halogens that are like, you know, that you could project uh, this movie if you put the film in front of it onto the moon because they're so freaking powerful. It was like Donald Trump looking at the sun during an eclipse. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, After he goes forward and says, change that, the guy gets out of his car and walks around in puzzlement, scratching his head like an ape in a cartoon, and then eventually pulls out like a blanket and a jacket and tries to cover the halogens with the blanket and the jacket to stop the light, as though he can't figure out how to make the audio from the movie come out of his radio at the same time that his lights are off. Like, I wanted to, like, go up to him and be like, look, it's an Audi. The thing probably costs $80,000. There's no way (laughs) your car doesn't have the little knob on the left thing where you twirl it towards the off position and the lights are just off, but the car is on. The only explanation is this guy hasn't driven his car in six months of quarantine. He's a very firm believer in quarantine, and I really respect that. And he doesn't have any idea how. He's totally forgotten to drive, how to drive his car. So it diminished the joy of the drive-in movie theater it experience was for us. But uh, we made up for it by the fact that when we, we actually left a little early, and when we left, we turned our lights on, mm-hmm. which immediately, very brightly illuminated the car immediately in front of us, and we were so shocked and chagrined and embarrassed to see that a young man and a young woman were... Well, let's say they were scrambling quickly. Flagrante delecto. When they <laughs> when they were illuminated by our life. On that note, we've solved so many problems today. Yeah, we did uh, it. Yes, we did, and we'll hope to see you next week here on Too Many Lawyers. Have a great week. <laughs>